historically speaking, if you look at what rates have been doing so far this time around, two years going higher, 10 years going higher. Normally, you know, those will be going lower and you'll have that flattening yield curve. So it's important to note that with the two-year and the 10-year both trending higher overall, that's normally a sign of an improving economy or at least a strengthening economy. So that's called a bear flattening yield curve for the bond geeks out there. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of LPL Market Signals. I'll be your host today, Ryan Dietrich. And once again, we're glad to welcome back for the second week in a row, equity strategist Jeff Bookbinder. Jeff, how are things going up in Boston? Things are good. Thanks, Ryan. I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to be invited back because, uh, you know, when it's one shot and out, you know, uh, something didn't go well. So I'll, uh, I'll take this as a compliment that uh, I'm back for, um, for an encore. Well, Jeff, everyone else is out on vacation. You know that. I'll tease it. No. I knew there was a reason. <laughs> no, no. John, last... Lynch will, John Lynch will be back with us next week. That's well, well, that's right. But no, yeah, last week was a lot of fun. Looking forward to this week. So, you know, speaking about this week, Jeff, I'm just going to kind of go over real quickly here what we're the main topics, what we're going to talk about this week on LPL Market Signals. First thing, emerging markets. Emerging markets have been all over the news. Recently went into a bear market as of last week. We're going to talk about what we see there. Also, we've had some very strong manufacturing data. And depending on the source, you could argue some weak manufacturing data. So we're going to kind of slice and dice the manufacturing data that we've been seeing coming out of the U.S. here. Then in the lightning round, we're going to take a look at the yield curve. It's finally started to steepen. Is that the start of a more of a steeperish yield curve? S&P 500 up five months in a row. What's that mean? Well, a little hint here. It could be bullish for uh, the bulls here. And the last thing this week, some of the big events, Jeff, are the PPI and CPI, more specifically data on inflation. We're going to take a look at those events and inflation all in general. So first things first, Jeff, like we said, last week, emerging markets were all over the news. On Thursday, the um, MSCI, Emerging Markets Index, officially closed down 20.02%, which as we do, quote unquote, that's a bear market. A lot of people have been arguing over what's a true bear market. Nonetheless, 20% drop from the late January peak when it comes to emerging markets. Um, you know, been a rough ride for them. I know this week on our weekly market commentary, you and I kind of tag teamed a look at emerging markets here. So let's just have, you know, let's have five minutes or so going back and forth on what we see in emerging markets. Jeff, what's, uh, what's your initial takeaway? Are we on a new bear market for emerging markets here? Yeah, I, I think um, most of the price weakness uh, could be behind us. That there are a number of ways to, to look at this. Uh, certainly it appears to be more fear-driven, uh, and um, you know, not as much fundamental deterioration. You know, a lot of people are comparing this to the 1990s, where um, you know the currency uh, weakness in some of these markets in Asia drove EM down more than 30 percent. Um, this looks a lot better than that, frankly. It's, don't get me wrong; still, still very, very difficult period uh, for um, investors in, in EM, including us. But the countries, uh, by and large, are in better shape, better financial shape, more flexible currencies, better trade positions. Um, and so, of course, Turkey's been in the news a lot. Uh, some of the other countries, South Africa. Um, they just went into a Indonesia, recession, right? right? Well, not the, well, the number of countries that are in the news. But we think we might be running out of dominoes to fall here. Um, you, you never know exactly when this is going to end. And, and But a lot of these problems seem to be 
uh, fixable. Uh, and then they seem to be priced in, too, because, boy, there's been a lot of selling in EM, and uh, you know, the stocks look cheap to us. Sentiment very, very bearish, which may be a contrarian uh, uh, bullish signal here. That's right, Jeff. You, know, you mentioned South Africa, the headlines just last week where they officially went into a recession. Clearly, we know the concerns with Argentina and with Turkey. Obviously, China's had um, a rough go of things with their stock market and some of their recent economic data as well. So the thing that you know, I kind of took a look at, Jeff, here, you mentioned market sentiment. I love market sentiment. Just some of the – if you just Google search you know, emerging markets and do a search by the news, the headlines, just a few of them that I found, emerging markets slide into a bear market amid um, – continued concerns. Also, it's beginning to look a lot like a crisis. Now, that's just, you know, that's a just a taste of it, but there's a lot of negativity. Also, a very popular uh, sentiment poll that looks at what global fund managers, so these are guys that manage billions and billions of dollars, are doing. It's the first time emerging market equities have been underweight in about a year and a half, approximately. So those, again, from that contrarian point of view, uh, do uh, turn I've got some pretty big ears. Anyone ever seen me on TV, my ears do stick out, I'll admit. But my ears are perking up when I start to hear and see things like that. Now, the other thing, Jeff, that caught me, I love looking at numbers and putting things in perspective. Going back 15 years, the Emerging Markets Index has pulled back at least 15% on an intra-year basis from peak to trough 11 times out of the previous 15 years. So a pullback, a very big pullback in emerging markets is actually fairly normal. Now, here's the kicker. Six of those 11 times, the Emerging Markets Index actually finished the year in the green. And some of the recent times it didn't were in 2014, 2015. Those, you know, I mean, Jeff, you're the earnings expert. Tell me a little bit, what were earnings doing in 2014, 15 in emerging markets versus right now? What's the major difference there? Sure. Yeah. Well, they were down. Actually, they were down in the U.S. too. That That's was, right. Uh, yeah, we were flat really for a while too in the U.S. Right. Global yeah. uh, earnings recession uh, back a few years ago, and, and certainly we've come out of it strong in both uh, domestic and international markets. Earnings are growing globally uh, at a pretty solid clip here, uh, especially uh, the U.S. You know, if, you, if you look at the um, earnings expectations here in emerging markets now going forward, they're actually pretty positive. They're, still around 10% consensus estimates uh, for uh, earnings growth. Uh, the U.S. will probably do better, but that that's still uh, pretty good. And the estimates have been holding up pretty well. I, I love looking at how earnings expectations change uh, as a um, predictor of market performance. And estimates have only gone down a little bit when you adjust for currency, right? I mean, the dollar goes up and earnings go down. That's just math. But right. you take that currency fluctuation out, and uh, EM earnings actually look pretty good. No, that's a great point. And again, so that's a major difference now with what we saw a couple of years ago when we had over a 15% correction. So, you know, it's an interesting backdrop. The last thing I'll say, Jeff, to kind of wrap up our discussion on emerging markets, there are lots of different ratios that we can use to look at kind of what's going on out there in the world. Well, there's one called the gold to silver ratio, which again, like it sounds, is how much silver it takes to buy one ounce of gold. And the bottom line, Silver is as cheap relative to gold as any time it's been since a financial crisis. Now, to keep this simple to explain to people, the last three times we saw silver this cheap relative to gold were pretty much within a month or two of major bottoms in emerging markets. Now, silver, of course, is more of an industrial metal. Industrial metals, when you look at copper, have clearly been hit hard. So it's not a shock that you know, copper is cheaper and silver is cheaper. 
Uh, nonetheless, there could be one little potential signal when we look at the gold-to-silver ratio flashing. Um, so maybe some buy signs when it comes to emerging markets. So, Jeff, we're going to shift gears for a second now. Let's talk manufacturing. Manufacturing makes up, I think it's about 12% of the overall U.S. GDP. It was much more, obviously, 40, 50 years ago as we're more of a services-type um, economy now. Nonetheless, we still think manufacturing matters and could be a little bit of a you know, a canary in the coal mine, so to speak. Now, last week, we had some, depending on your source, I guess, right, Some either some strong manufacturing data or maybe some weakish economic data. Um, Jeff, you know, maybe fill us in, kind of what did we see last week from uh, manufacturing data in general here in the United States? Yeah, the, the ISM uh, was a boomer, the official um, ISM. There, there are two different purchasing managers' surveys I think that's what you were alluding to. Yes. One from the official Institute of Supply Management, and then one from a data survey provider called Market, M-A-R-K-I-T. Those numbers typically don't diverge much, but they did uh, last week. So um, so I, I guess the official one uh, means more, and that was a cycle high at over 61, strongly expansionary, one of the strongest readings we've ever had in that index, um, where you ask sir, you know, purchasing managers, do you think you're going to buy more stuff or less stuff? So it's a sentiment measure, uh, but certainly ties to economic activity because these purchasing managers buy when they say they're going to buy. Um, what's really exciting about this number uh, to me, well, actually, there are two things. Number one, when the ISM peaks, which it may have just done, uh, you typically have three, four years before recession based on history, so I would say that's good news. Uh, and then also there's a strong correlation between manufacturing sentiment and earnings. So this actually suggests that we've got another good year of earnings ahead, uh, just like uh, most folks, uh, including ourselves, expect. So a couple positive signals there for sure. No, that's right, Jeff. So that's the ISM a manufacturing index. And also just looking in a little deeper, Got a note here, ISM's new orders gauge jumped 8.1%, the strongest monthly growth since August of 2014. And let's not forget, the second quarter GDP just came in the strongest since when? Since 2014. Now, it's, it was interesting when we kind of dug in. We wrote about this, actually, in this week's weekly economic commentary. And when you take a look at the market PMI, like we said, so we've got 14-year highs on the ISM PMI. But on the market PMI, it actually came in at the lowest level since um, November of 2017. So not you know, not the end of the world, but you do have a little bit of a divergence there. And when we looked into this, I thought this was interesting because I didn't know this. There are five components that make up both of these. But interestingly, it's all about the weightings that are different. The ISM kind of weights everything evenly, whereas the market PMI... They try to weight things a little bit more here, a little bit less there. Let me see the number that I have. Weightings range from 30% for new orders and index components to only 10% for, for inventory. So there is a little bit of difference there, and that makes up, you know, people might say, well, why in the world are these so different? Well, right there is a difference. And the way we kind of summarize this, we think the truth is probably, you know, like it, like it is always, right? There's the extremes. It's probably somewhere more in the middle, but the bottom line is the, the economy still looks strong. Manufacturing is still showing no major worrisome signs to us that there's a uh, potential recession over the next 12 to 18 months. And like you just said, Jeff, 
Manufacturing might make up 12% of GDP, but its correlation to earnings is obviously very, very strong. So, Jeff, um, to wrap it up, you know, did I miss anything on manufacturing, or is that kind of do we cover all the bases? I guess there. Yeah. Well, one more quick thing. Uh, clearly, uh, concerns about a trade war are not having much, if any, impact on how purchasing managers feel about uh, the future here. So that's that's encouraging. That's good. And I did see that was uh, in the in the survey that they do. It was mentioned many times, but again, it's the bottom line, kind of like with companies with this earnings season, which we just had. You know, earnings are up, what, 24 25% year-over-year, year, depending on your source in the second quarter. So they might have been concerned about the trade wars. But again, the future growth with earnings and what companies kind of said in the end and what they really did is what mattered. So that's a, it's, that's a definite positive. So, Jeff, let's go now to the lightning round. First things first, this is interesting, the yield curve. I think the yield curve has probably been one of the mo- along with the trade war or potential trade war. The, the yield curve has been out there in the news. Nine of the last nine recessions, every recession, uh, the last nine ones since back to the early 1960s, started with an inverted yield curve. Now, the yield curve is not inverted yet, but it has been extremely flat recently. Well, all of a sudden, last week, we finally saw a little bit of steepening in the yield curve. you got to start somewhere, right? Do you think the yield curve maybe just bottomed and we're going to finally start to see some continued steepening? Or what, what should investors be on the lookout there? Yeah, it, it, it should be steeper. Uh, the low interest rates overseas are still depressing long-term bond rates in, in the U.S., right? So uh, based on the historical relationships between interest rates, economic growth, and inflation, you know, we should probably be at 4% 10-year yield, not 3 actually probably even higher. So clearly this relationship is not holding, um, and uh, certainly the, you know, all the central bank stimulus overseas has been a big part of that as the U.S. has pulled back on the so-called quantitative easing and uh, really Europe's barely starting to pull back, and Japan hasn't pulled back at all. Uh, right. So low rates overseas are going to continue to keep long yields depressed. Uh, but you know the chairman of the Federal Reserve, um, Jay Powell, is, is very market savvy. Former investment banker, he he knows about this relationship. He will not. He'll do everything in his power, at least, to not invert the yield curve. So the Fed will have to slow down a little bit if the market gets a little bit concerned about. Um, economic deterioration overseas, or uh, potentially something happens that brings overseas yields down uh, even even more. Um, it, sure, we could stay flat for a while. We did in the 90s. Um, we stayed flat in the mid-90s for quite a while and never inverted until the uh, really the, the start of the next decade. So maybe that's a good uh, uh, analogy for uh, uh, for this, this current period. But, but clearly growth and inflation are picking up. And that should, all else equal, uh, push up longer-term interest rates and, uh, and and steepen the yield curve as the Fed gets to a more normal short-term level on its uh, Fed funds rate. Uh, great points there, Jeff. Uh, you know, I'm going to put on my fixed income hat for a second. You know, one of the, you mentioned the mid '90s, so we had a period of years where the yield curve was never inverted, but it stayed relatively flat for years. Now. What was happening then? We had higher rates. You know, historically speaking, if you look at what rates have been doing so far this time around, 
two years going higher, 10 years going higher. Normally, you know, those will be going lower and you'll have that flattening yield curve. So it's important to note that with the two-year and the 10-year both trending higher overall, that's normally a sign of an improving economy or at least a strengthening economy. So that's called a bear flattening yield curve for the bond geeks out there. And that's, I think that's an important thing to note. The other thing, we've done some research on this on lplresearch.com, our blog, and then a lot of our weeklies. But when the yield curve inverts, everyone, I believe me, we deal with media a lot, Jeff, as you know, and you do it also just like I do. But we hear the yield curve and it acts like this end-all, be-all, sell-everything signal. Well, look at the last five cycles after the yield curve inverted. The S&P 500 went up for an average of 19 months, and the average gain at the peak was 22%. So, yes, you're late in the ball game potentially when you have that inverted yield curve, but it doesn't mean – um, you know, necessarily sell everything and go away. Uh, looks like 21 months on average before recession starts after those previous five cycles, also after an inverted yield curve. So just to put some put some color around that. The next question we're going to take in the lightning round is S&P 500 up five months in a row. You know, sell may go away. We all know that. What hadn't worked this year is the S&P has been higher April, May, June, July, and August, all five months in a row. Why does that matter? Well, that's happened 25 times since 1950. One year later, the S&P 500 was higher 24 of those times, up uh, just over 13% on average, which is obviously stronger than average returns. And interestingly, the last time we saw this, five straight months of gains, was exactly a year ago. And what's the S&P done over the past 12 months? Gained over 17%. So I don't know if we're necessarily calling 17% gain the next 12 months, but what we are saying is with the strong economic backdrop, this is just one little data piece, but a blast of strength from equities can sometimes have a lasting effect. And since 1950, it uh, it absolutely has. I mean, Jeff, what, what do you think? A year from now, I mean, we still should probably be in a bull market, right? Oh, sure. There's, there's agreement, um, certainly uh, on our... Um investment committee that um, that will be higher a year from now and stocks will be bonds. Uh, this bull, based on all the forward and leading indicators that we follow, um, should have a fair amount left in the tank. But, you know, you get these 5 to 10 percent corrections um, fairly regularly uh, during bull markets. So we could have another one. You know, you typically get one before midterm elections. So uh, it's possible that we could pull back here in just the next uh, few months. But um, as you know, Ryan, uh, fourth quarter seasonality is quite positive. And um, uh, certainly the economy has some good momentum right now. You know, the effects of tax reform still still flowing through. So there's a lot of reasons to be um, positive, certainly about the economy, about corporate profits, and, and about the, um, the bull market uh, heading into 2019. No, great points there. You know, you mentioned and we are in the month of September. I know last week we talked about this on the podcast, but September can be a troublesome month. We consider up five months in a row. Maybe some type of corrections do, but September and October of midterm years can be a little tricky potentially. So with five months of gains, S&P up about 8% or so for the year approximately, um, you know, maybe a little bit of a well-deserved correction can be in play. But don't forget, November and December of midterm years tend to be really strong. And then let's not forget next year is the third year of the pre four-year presidential cycle. Well, that year hasn't been down on a total return basis since almost uh, the Great Depression. So, you know, this, the calendar is a worrisome sign now for the next couple of months. But as we reach out to next year, 
It really is positive. So, Jeff, the last question, this is all you, on the end of the lightning round. Um, this week, some of the big events that are taking place all about inflation. The PPI and the CPI came out this week. Obviously, last month, both of them kind of ticked out to new cycle highs um, in terms of inflation. So the worry is inflation starting to creep up. We can talk maybe about last week and the jobs number there. We had a higher than expected wage growth, but the market took that in stride on Friday. Uh, nonetheless, what are you looking for? What should uh, investors be thinking about this week when it comes to this inflation data coming out on Wednesday and Thursday? Yeah, certainly we're getting, um, you know, some hints of, of a pickup in inflation here over the last few months. Certainly the uh, wage inflation number on Friday, uh, at least for a few minutes, spooks the markets. Um, you know, it's a little bit of acceleration there. Uh, wage inflation is really important because it's what the Fed watches most closely. It's what affects company profit margins the most. So on wages, um, we're still a good bit away from where we would normally be at this stage of a business cycle. And we're still a bit away uh, away from where we would typically be uh, ahead of a recession. So wage inflation now, just a hair under 3%. Typically, uh, at least for the last few cycles, it's been over 4% uh, annually before the the Fed essentially uh, tightens up so much that the economy contracts. So we're not we're not there yet. We still think we still got a fair amount of time, but uh, certainly um, we will see a little bit more inflation here in the coming months. Uh, it seems uh, than than we're used to maybe over the last uh, couple of years. But just keep it in context that um, based on history, this is not a worrisome level of inflation uh, by any stretch. No, that, that, exactly. Now, you know, the Fed's favorite measure of inflation is the personal consumption expenditures, better known as the PCE. Last month, that came in right at 2%, which, again, is the Fed's target rate. So we like to point out, yes, the headlines this week very well could say the highest inflation we've seen this cycle when you look at the PPI and CPI. But when it comes to the personal consumption expenditures, we're really not seeing runaway inflation at all. And like you said, wage growth, when it hits 4%, that, that was right ahead of the last three recessions. And wage growth last week on Friday came in at 2.9% year over year. So we're not quite... Um, at the levels of worry. You know, I like to say here at LPR Research, bull markets die of excesses, not necessarily old age. Well, one of those components of excesses is wage growth and inflation. And again, you know, we're maybe bubbling up to a little bit of a yellow signal, a little bit of a warning, but by no means are we seeing anything uh, red there. All right, Jeff, we're going to wrap up the lightning round here with a question you did not see coming. You went to Northwestern University. I'm kind of an Ohio guy, Ohio State. How's Northwestern football going to look this year? Oh, yeah, I think they're going to look pretty good. Uh, uh, Pat Fitzgerald, their coach, has done a tremendous job. They won a few bowl games here in in recent years. Uh, They have some new facilities people are really excited about. Um, Take a good crop of recruits. So so, uh, we're we're excited. Uh, Now, we're not quite at Ohio State's level, but – you know, maybe uh, maybe this could be a top top twenty five team, which would be pretty cool. And, and any bowl victory is is worth celebrating, even if it's not uh, one of the biggies. Hey, that's right. A win's a win, no doubt about it. Well, that's it for this episode. A special thanks to Jeff Bookbinder for chatting with us this week. Great to be here, Ryan. Thanks a lot for having me. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter at LPL or at LPL Research. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm Ryan Dietrich. Thank you for listening.
The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC, Securities and Advisory Services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.